Hey everybody, welcome to part one of your final exam review. This part is on unit four, which is the interactions amongst the branches. Okay, so the executive branch with the president, the legislative branch with Congress, and then the judicial branch with the Supreme Court mainly is what we concentrate on. Um, so the test is split into two sections. Basically, you got one through 35, which is going to be this unit four stuff. That's what we'll go over in this one. And then I'll do uh, another podcast for unit five, which will be uh, 36 through 60. And that's the civil rights and civil liberty stuff. So, uh, so let's get going here. So number one on your study guide, if you're looking at it, and you can download this from the E-Class page. It's on the front page there, also in the content under the syllabus. Uh, but the question is, how can the president and Congress hold the bureaucracy accountable? Okay. Now, don't get it mixed up here. It's not asking about how they can do stuff together. <clears throat> this is about their separate powers that they have uh, over the bureaucracy. Okay. The main thing the president has. Uh, is that he's in charge of the bureaucracy, uh, but he's not there on a day-to-day -day basis. So instead, the president appoints people uh, to be there every day. And so that's his main ability to control the bureaucracy is that he puts people, uh, his people in charge. Congress, uh, they have two main things they can do. They have the oversight ability, all right, so they can call people in uh, from these bureaucratic agencies and question them and ask them why they're doing things the way they're doing them. Uh, and then the big one is the budget. All right, they control the finances of these uh, these groups. Okay, uh, number two, one we went over in class, but explain the government corporations and independent executive agencies. All right, so government corporations, uh, these are agencies that do something that the private sector maybe in, in past couldn't do. So think the post office, all right? Uh, in years past, it would have been crazy to think, hey, the other groups, other businesses can, can deliver the mail. But today we have the UPS, we have the FedEx and all those sorts of things. Uh, back in the day though, you know, the post office was the, the, was the way to get packages places. So they do that. Uh, they're supposed to make money uh, from there and kind of support themselves. The post office at this point, though, is is losing money. OK. And then you've got independent executive agencies. <clears throat> and these are going to be executive agencies. So, you know, they are part of the executive branch to an extent, but they are independent. So keep that in mind. Uh, they have a leadership in place appointed by the president generally, but they don't answer directly to the president. They don't answer directly to Congress. They get to do their own thing. That's why they're independent. So think NASA and things like that. All right. Number three says, know the process of how a bill becomes a law. The quick, quick version, a bill is introduced. All right. Uh, it goes to the standing committee. It gets worked on within the standing committee. It goes to the full house or the full Senate. It gets voted on there. If it's approved, it goes to the other side, starts over. If it's approved over there, it goes to the president for a signature. Okay, that's the quick, quick version. Maybe check out one of the infographics that you did or that I gave you. That's in, uh, in content if you're, if you're not sure and you need more details there. All right. Uh, number four, the differences between the House and the Senate. Okay, um, I'm not going to try and go through all the nuts and bolts. Of the, of the House and the Senate, but uh, understand that the House is a lot more formal, okay? Uh, they limit the debate. They have a lot more rules over there because there's so many of them, okay? And versus the Senate where there's not, I don't want to say it's less formal, uh, but they just have less rules they have to abide by because there are less people. So they can have unlimited debate. 
um, and this allows for filibusters and things like that. So um, I think if you're if you understand that, you should be okay for that question. Number five, uh, legislative checks on the executive branch. So uh, the 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 legislative branch has a bunch of stuff that they can do to the uh, the president. You know, we have impeachment going on right now, so they can do that. Uh, they can override a presidential veto. The Senate has the power of confirmation, uh, so they can do that. Um, you know, in theory, if even if the president does an executive order, Congress can kind of say, okay, well, we'll just create a law uh, about that and and do that. Uh, get rid of that, basically, uh, the executive order. So they have, they do have some options that they can use. And we see it happening now in front of us, the, the impeachment stuff going on with our current president. Okay. Number six, shared powers of the president and Congress over the bureaucracy. Uh, so whereas number one did not uh, have them together, this one does have them together. And the main thing is the budget. The president will... Uh, create the budget, and then Congress has to approve it. Number seven, explain the nomination process of Supreme Court justices. Um, <clears throat> the president will pick someone uh, that has been vetted by the White House and the FBI and some other groups, and then he'll pick them, make it public. He'll send the name to the Senate, the Senate Judiciary Committee. They'll do their own vetting, okay, and then they'll have uh, some hearings about him, him or her, and then they'll approve it, him or her, and then they will go on and uh, approve it or not approve it. Okay. Uh, number eight, pocket vetoes. A pocket veto is something the president can use if Congress gives them a bill late in the process. So if they if they turn in a bill with less than 10 days left in their session, the president can't just sit on it and let it die because all bills have to be signed and approved and, and checked off by the end of their session. If not, they have to start all over. Okay. Number nine, pork barreling. <clears throat> pork, barreling pork barreling is where a congressman, house or senator uh, gets money that they use directly for their home district and it only benefits their home district. Okay. Uh, on the test, you got to pick out from some examples of pork barreling. <clears throat> Number 10, executive agreements. Uh, remember, these are agreements with foreign countries that the president can do. And they get around the key thing that treaties have to go through, which is Senate approval. Executive agreements do not. So the president can get around that check uh, by creating executive agreements. Number 11, the committees. There are four types. <clears throat> the most important one to know is standing committee. Uh, this is the one where all bills go. Okay. Not one, but bills all bills have to go to a standing committee. There's like 17 on the Senate side and 16 on the House side or vice versa, something like that. Uh, but every bill goes there and this is where the work of a bill gets done. Okay. The other three, not taking anything away from them, but you've got conference committees. That's where there's differences in a bill from the House to the Senate side. Uh, I always use spending, but you know, it can be any kind of difference. Uh, the wordage, hey, we're going to uh, regulate this. We're not going to regulate this, and whatever it might be. Okay, um, <clears throat> but if it's a spending bill, Cong House says twenty-five million, the Senate says fifteen, and let's meet in the middle. The conference committee would come together and let's meet in the middle and let's have one bill pass. All right, uh, the joint committees. So this is a combo. So this is going to be both House and Senate members uh, will come together, and they're generally going to report something. So they are going to research something. Bank 9-11, and then report on it to the American people. 
All right. And then select committees are separate. So there's House select committees and there's Senate select committees. Uh, they can last from session to session, but they eventually probably go away. And they're usually for some kind of investigative purpose. OK, uh, there is a select committee for the House Watergate or the there was a select committee for the on the House side for the Watergate committee, uh, Watergate scandal. I'm stumbling now uh, back in the day. Um, and there's been the, the Senate Select Committee on uh, Campaign Finance, which has been around for a while now. So they, they can stick around, but they they aren't permanent. Uh, Twelve, give examples of independent executive agencies. Uh, so I said NASA Erla, earlier is a big one. Um, there's others. OK, the CIA can can possibly be considered one. EPA could be considered one. So those are some examples. Uh, 13, the 22nd Amendment. This is what's going to come about after FDR has run four times for the presidency. And uh, he is going to uh, get the 22nd Amendment passed, which limits presidents to two terms. So we're going to finally limit them uh, to two terms. On the test, it is a cartoon you're looking at. OK, uh, 14, the House Rules Committee. Uh, remember, this is the most powerful and most important committee in Congress. They are going to uh, have bills run by them and they're going to kind of help with this, the setting of the schedule. So they're going to work with the Speaker of the House to set the schedule for the bills. Uh, they get to decide if it's an open and closed thing. Remember, open uh, allows for amendments to be added to it. Closed is not. Uh, they're going to help decide who's going to talk and speak on this bill. So a uh, very powerful uh, committee in the House. And once again, it is only on the House side. It is not a Senate thing. Uh, 15, who do presidents nominate as judges? Okay. Uh, the key thing to remember here is that typically presidents are going to nominate judges who agree with them, uh, politically. Okay. They're not going to go, uh, a conservative president is not going to nominate a liberal judge and vice versa. A liberal president is not going to nominate a conservative judge. It's just not going to happen. They don't do that kind of stuff. They're going to have the same mindset, the same ideology. OK, uh, 16, why are federal judge nominations so contentious? It's a lifetime term. All right. Uh, they are in there until they resign or retire or die. That can, in some cases, that could be a long time. Uh, you know, if you're a 45 year old judge and you're on the Supreme Court, you could be there for 30, 40, 50 years. Depends on how long you live and how long you want to work. Uh, but that's a long time for that mindset, that ideology to be on the 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 bench okay and I, i've gone on this before i think the supreme court should be limited i think we should go with 20 25 years something like that as a term and that would get rid of some of the, the contentiousness of the uh, whole appointment process because then it's not a lifetime thing all right uh 17 uh divided government <clears throat> excuse me so uh this is where pretty simply the president is from one party and House and the Senate might be from another or part of the House. Uh, the House might be from a different one party while the Senate's from a different one. And we could also consider it the House is divided where the House is uh, Republican, the Senate's Democrat, or like we have it now, House Republic, House Democrat, Senate Republican. And, and uh, you know, they just don't get along. They don't work together. Uh, I've heard the, the, both sides are trying to, to play it up, but you know, there's 400 bills that the Democrats in the House have passed that the Senate just refuses to look at, and there's different things that are going on. So, uh, but that's what divided government is. All right, 18 and 19 go together. They both deal with Fed 78, uh, and that's going to deal with the you know the judges and the courts and things like that. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I think uh, you know, you'll be able to take the stuff from the passage and answer the question. 
So if you really want to, maybe take a look at uh, Fed 78 for a second. Um, but I think you'll be able to use the information given to you in the passage uh, to answer the question. Okay, and same goes for 19. So I'm not going to spend too much time on 18 and 19. If you have specific questions about Fed 78 uh, and it's what it means about the courts and, and things like that, then let me know and we can talk about it. Number 20, uh, bicameralism. Okay, uh, this is just the fact that we have a two house legislature. That's all that is. 21, uh, cloture vote. So remember, a cloture is what ends a filibuster. So if you're filibustering and you want to, you're like, uh, not you, but you want to end the filibuster, uh, you would make a motion for a cloture vote. Okay. Now the numbers get a little, not weird, but uh, there's two parts to it. So you have to have someone second you. In fact, you have to have 16 people back you up on the cloture. All right. Once you have 16 people who agree with you and say, yeah, sure, let's, let's end this thing. Uh, then you go to the vote and that's where you need the 60, six zero. Okay. So 16 people to back you up on the cloture. And then you need six zero to say, yes, let's end debate. And then you go right to a vote. All right. Uh, 22 is log rolling. And remember, that is the uh, wheeling and dealing that goes on between the senators and the House members to get support from one another and votes from one another. Uh, 23, the Iron Triangle. Like I said in class, I think I've oversaturated you with this. I don't think it's as big a deal as, as I've made it seem like it could be. Remember, this is the interest group, the bureaucratic agency and the congressional committee and uh, the relationship that they have uh, with each other. Okay, and on the test, it could be specifics or it could be generals. Just keep that in mind. 24, why do Congress and the president often clash? Uh, the big thing is that they're from different parties occasionally. Okay, uh, and then they also have different groups they're worried about. The president is national, he has to worry about everybody, versus the House and the Senate. The House is a small district they're worried about, they don't care about what's going on elsewhere. And then the, the Senate has the states they're worried about, so they have a different constituencies. Uh, 25, congressional leadership, and what does each role do? Okay, so let's do the House first, and then we'll do the Senate. And some of these are both are the same for both, so I'll, I'll make note of that uh, so you're sure to understand. So the House, they have the Speaker of the House. That's the most powerful position in all of Congress. They basically run the House, okay? Uh, they will make decisions on committees. They will make decisions on how much you know, they're going to work with the Rules Committee on how much time is going to be spent on a bill uh, and all, all sorts of things. So they drive the agenda on the House side. There is no such thing on the Senate side. All right. Uh, on the House side, there is a majority leader and a minority leader. All right. There's also a majority leader and a minority leader on the Senate side. Let's talk about the House first. On the House side, the majority leader is going to work with the Speaker of the House. They're, it's, that, it's that person's right-hand person, okay? Uh, and they're going to help and they're going to uh, assist with things uh, from a leadership standpoint, okay? The minority leader, they're going to work with the, the minority party, uh, but there's very little you can do. The, the majority in the House really drives things. And it's the, you know, as a minority, you don't have many options. You just kind of kind of sit back and grin and, and take it sometimes. All right. Uh, on the Senate side, the majority minority leaders are supposed to work together. Now, the majority leader really can take charge. And, and we see it now. They are the ones that really drive things. They don't have the same power as the speaker does. Uh, they don't get to set the agenda like that. Uh, but they they do get to, to kind of push their own agenda a little bit. All right. Uh, but the minority leader on the Senate side, they have more more options because remember, they can do filibusters. And if the majority party doesn't have that 60 number for a cloture vote, then they can't stop the filibuster. 
Okay. And then lastly, you got the whips. All right. These are the assistants to the majority minority leaders and the speaker. All righty. Uh, and they're the ones that are going to kind of try and keep their, they're the whip for a reason. They try and keep the, the rank and file, the everyday non-leadership members of, of their parties in line, voting the way they're supposed to, doing what they're supposed to. All right. So that's the whip. And both sides, Senate and House, have the whips and they do the same things. All right. Uh, all right. Twenty six. The vice president of the Constitution, he has one job, and that is to serve as president of the Senate. He doesn't do it. Uh, 27 and 28 deal with Fed 70. Same deal as with Fed 78. <clears throat> this question uh, has the passage, and I think you'll be able to read the passage and get the answers from it. So I'm not going to spend too much time on Fed 70, but it is about a strong executive. Okay, so if, you're, if you have any other questions, let me know in class so we can talk about it. Uh, 29, how is the president, presidency different today? Then the vision of the framers. So <clears throat> remember, the, the framers wanted a weak president. They were scared of a monarchy. They were scared of a king. And so they went really out of their way to make the presidency very weak. They'd be pretty shocked at today's president where he has taken power uh, from the, uh, the Constitution and some informal means with the media and things like that. Uh, they'd be pretty shocked at what, what the president can do today. Number 30, court packing. So this is a little bit of U.S. history stuff here. The president back in the 1930s, FDR, uh, he had created his new deal and he was all pumped up about it. And then it got some of them got challenged. And the Supreme Court actually declared some of his new deal stuff unconstitutional. So FDR is like, well, you know what? I'll take care of that. And he created a bill which was going to uh, <clears throat> make the, the number go from nine to 15. And he was going to put his people on there. And by God, all that stuff was going to be declared constitutional now. All right. And so uh, that's what the court packing is. Uh, there's a cartoon on the test that you'll have to deal with uh, and come up with an answer. But if you know what court packing is, and you know that deal about FDR, you should be good. Uh, 31, the executive orders. So don't get them confused with executive agreements. Executive orders are domestic. So they are here at home. Uh, the president issues these things to the bureaucracy. And um, <clears throat> they are supposed to carry them out, and it has the force of law, okay? Um, the president uses them a lot of times if he is in a divided government and nothing's getting done, maybe the president takes it into his own hands and does the, uh, the executive order, okay? Uh, 32, gerrymandering. I think everybody's okay with gerrymandering. This is where you're making those lines kind of to fit your needs as a political party. Remember, the state legislatures get to draw these lines. And so they have some leeway. There is no federal accounting of, of the lines. They get to just draw them as they see fit. All right. And so <clears throat> they draw them up. And uh, they're not always the fairest of them. OK. Now, there's two court cases you got to know that deal with gerrymandering. Keep in mind, one of them does not really deal with, deal with gerrymandering. All right. Baker versus Carr and Shaw versus Reno. Baker versus Carr, this is the first one to know, all right? It happened in the 1960s, and it's associated with gerrymandering because it's the one that got the Supreme Court into the redistricting business. Before this time, any kind of question that came up about the new district lines, the Supreme Court would say, no, we don't handle that. No, we don't handle that. And so by taking a look at Baker versus Carr, they started to look at the, the drawing of lines. Okay, so Baker versus Carr. Uh, in Tennessee, the districts had swelled. There was a huge population boom 
uh, in this county. I think it was Shelby County, Tennessee, and they had not redrawn the line since 1920. So the argument was, hey, we're being underrepresented here because there's so many people in our small little district. <clears throat> you need to follow the rules and you need to redistrict. And uh, they went to the Supreme Court and they eventually agreed. All right. Once again, it's not a gerrymandering. That was not a gerrymandering thing. It was just, hey, you need to follow the, the rules you have in place. Now, Shaw versus Reno was a gerrymandering case. Okay. This happened more recently, happened up the road in North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina redrew some lines and they drew a, a district that was specifically made to have all black voters or mostly black voters, a black majority voters. All right. Uh, went to the federal government. The federal government said, hey, you, gotta, you can't do that. You got to do more. And so they came back with a second district. All right. Uh, well, this time when it went forward, the there was, I think, five white voters who hollered gerrymandered. You're, you're drawing these lines to benefit a group and it's going to go to the Supreme Court. All right. <clears throat> uh, and so just keep that in mind for the for the question on the test. Uh, you know, which one actually does deal with gerrymandering? Uh, Thirty three congressional representation. Really simple. Don't read more into it than you have to. Uh, House does a small district. The Senate as the state. 34, the State of the Union. There's a passage from the State of the Union, and you have to discuss, or not discuss, but uh, figure out what is being talked about there. Uh, remember, the State of the Union is required by the Constitution every year uh, to be given by the president to Congress. And it's just an update on what is going on in the government, what's happening. Um, and it's also kind of a, hey, let me set my agenda for the year, too. All right. Uh, and then lastly, for this one is 35, judicial activism versus judicial restraint. Remember, activism, this is where the courts, the judges are going to kind of create their own policy with their decisions uh, versus judicial restraint, where they are supposed to stick to the Constitution only and should not be going outside of what the Constitution, what the original intent the framers said. Uh, activism tends to be a more liberal, democratic ideology. Restraint tends to be a Republican conservative. If you have questions, please let me know. Hit me up on the Remind uh, email. Talk to me in class. I know I won't see too much of you this week, but uh, get your answers, uh, get your questions answered by me so you can do the best you can on this test. All right. Good luck on all your other exams. And we've got one more podcast to do, and then uh, you don't have to listen for a while. All right. Take care. Good luck.